0: We are faced today with a historical situation which shows again the folly of mankind. And all of us are unfortunately equally foolish. There's no sense in thinking that others are at fault the whole of humanity is involved, each one of us. And if we look at it that way, we will also know that the only thing we can do in order to contribute anything worthwhile to this dreadful situation is to find peace in our own hearts and try to emanate it around us as much as we can. Peace and harmony, love and compassion are tangible. They are thoughts and emotions we can feel. We know when somebody walks into a room and is angry without ever saying a word. We know when somebody walks into a room and is loving, that person doesn't have to start talking. So we are faced now, in reality, with something that is of devastating impact where each one of us probably feels at this point helplessly involved in something which we ourselves don't want and have no part in that's not true that we don't want it is true that we have no part in it is not true every bit of Lack of peace in our own hearts contributes to the lack of peace in the world. Every bit of peace we have in our own hearts contributes to the peace. This is what we need to learn. And this is what we can learn. And this is what our meditation practice must teach us. Otherwise, we're doing it in vain. Come over there. We have actually already touched upon all those guidelines and all those um, methods that will generate Peacefulness within us. But I would like to reiterate them now. First of all, it's our last session together here. And secondly, if I'm any judge of human nature, half of what one hears goes past. And it is important to have a repetition of those things which can be extremely helpful. Now in two words, the teaching of the Buddha contains calm and insight, those two words, calm and insight. Remember them if you would like to have any nearer connection to the teaching and to peace in the heart calm and insight samatha and vipassana I'll say the words about insight first as we have already discussed them just as a recapitulation insight arises from the understood experience experience that what we feel within the understanding of it on a level of not liking or disliking but recognizing what it means to a human being now the understood experience arises within when we become mindful and attentive enough to actually know what's happening within us not out there because all that is happening out there is nothing but a reflection of what happens within what we see outside of ourselves is a mirror image that's all that what we have never seen within, we will never recognize outside. The mirror reflects only that which is there. That's why we say only a Buddha knows a Buddha. We don't know what it's like to be a Buddha, so we wouldn't wouldn't know it if the one was right in front of our noses. But we certainly know what it means to be angry. In fact, we do know what it means to have a war. Not necessarily one where we shoot with guns or bombs, but war within and war with those people around us. There's hardly personalized who hasn't had such a war at one time or another, either within or with the people around us. So we recognize it immediately we know what it's like and we also know how awful it is insight means that we recognize this within us when it arises not in retrospect at the time of its arising we recognize it and we understand it that it's based on one of the three roots of evil I have mentioned our six roots. The three roots of evil, of which this one is called hate. It can be called many other things, but that's its primary topic, so to say. The one that we can put everything into. Now, what we have discussed is becoming aware of our physical action in order to strengthen our attention and awareness become aware of our feelings and sensations to know what's going on within to be aware of mental states which also contains moods and the content of the thought now these four foundations of mindfulness which can be used whenever each one is applicable and need to be used in everyday life are the inner experience. And now, on top of that, we have to understand it. We have to understand that the six roots exist within us. The three roots of evil and the three roots of good I repeat them, greed, hate, and delusion, generosity, love, and compassion, and wisdom. We've got all six. And we need not look outside of ourselves to find anyone, any one of these six. We've got them all. All we have to do is look inside. They're right there and they stare us in the face. Very often, we don't want to know about the evil ones. We think evil is outside of ourselves. It can't be. What we experience in this world is a delusion of separation most people are still operating under the idea that each one of us is a separate entity that has its borders by, reflected through the body and safety precautions have to be taken to look after the security of this entity. Now, and translate that for a moment into national safety and security precautions. Same thing. Borders. One country, one safety, one security. Each one of us wants it. A total reflection of human delusion. The reality of it is, very easy to see, it's one globe. All borders are man-made. That's easy. But what's difficult is, One humanity, these borders, are an optical illusion. Now that's difficult. And yet the two are the same thing. And the whole mess arises out of the fact that we can't see this and therefore can't see that either. Now if you think for a moment what our scientists have been telling us for the past at least 40 years maybe even longer. It's a fact that there isn't a single solid building block in the whole of the universe. Very few people have not heard that statement. That everything that exists are energy particles that come together and fall apart. So what are we? Energy particles that come together and fall apart. And this whole separation is an optical illusion. That's all we operate under. And because everybody operates under that illusion, we are faced with the same thing on an international basis, on a national basis, barriers, borders. This is me and mine, and I've got to keep it. And this is yours, and I don't care what happens to it. Investigate, not the international scene you can leave that up to those people who seem to know something about it investigate that personal scene do you feel separate from everybody else are you a separate unity yet a separate unit sorry a separate entity or do you feel together the answer is obvious it's not you it's humanity everybody so with that illusion that we live in the results are exactly what's been happening and the results are what we also experience in our personal lives and there is a way out the way out of that is something that can only happen through the meditative path and it's quite (coughs) possible that when things go quite badly in the world more people are inclined to sit down and meditate. That's why the Buddha said the human realm is the best realm to get enlightened because we have enough dukkha, suffering to spur us on but also we have enough sukha, enough pleasure so that we don't become
1: desperate
0: the only problem with that is that most people in affluent societies can't become aware of the suffering that they themselves are experiencing they'd rather see only that which is pleasurable and therefore They don't practice. So, one of the things that we often experience is if we get a bit of a push on, because it may not even be our own suffering, but other people's suffering, that reminds us of the difficulties of being a human being and eventually actually see absolute truth, that may help to induce meditation. There's no other way of actually feeling the unity of existence except through meditation. We can talk about it. We can say we're all one. There used to be a newspaper called that. Nice words. And then what? Nothing. We're all one. I mean, we we are... We can argue about it. We can agree to it. But what difference does it make? Nothing. If we don't feel it, we haven't experienced it. Experience means feeling. And the mind, the intellect, (coughs) is the one that understands the experience. Think of a small child puts its hand on a hot stove and yells, screams, because it hurts. But doesn't know that that hurt comes from the hot stove. So liable to do it again until it understands the experience and keeps its hands off the hot stove. No experience will change anything until we've understood it. Now that part of it the understanding is the inside part of the practice the understood experience the understood part is the inside part and that is generated through those foundations of mindfulness which I've explained watching one's bodily actions becoming aware of feeling and sensation becoming aware of mental states becoming aware of content of thought The uniqueness of the Buddha's teaching lies in the fact that he's got a how-to all written out, volumes of it, how to do it. We don't have to try to figure out ourselves, but we've got to do it. So when we use that intellect that we all have in order to become aware of the happenings within we are generating this understanding of the experiences which we all have. Now, in order to have experiences which go beyond this optical illusion that we're all faced with, and mind you, it certainly looks as if we're all separate, doesn't it? I mean, we've got a separate pillow, we've got different clothes on, we each got different hair, and the whole thing looks different, doesn't it? so the optical illusion is so strong it's extremely difficult to go beyond it and therefore with closed eyes in the meditation that possibility exists so in order to get to this kind of other other experience this kind of transcendation transcendental experience the concentration has to happen now in order to differentiate between calm and insight, when you sit down watching your breath, if you're staying on the breath, you're working towards calm. <clears throat> if you're labeling the disturb- disturbing thoughts, or becoming aware of the feeling and sensation in the sitting position, or becoming aware of mental states, of boredom or drowsiness or whatever they may be, that all works towards insight. In the beginning of practice, although we try to work towards calm, it is important to also use whatever arises for insight because most people who start out in meditation cannot become calm, just, by wanting to so everything that arises can be used for understanding but in order to get to an experience where we see the world in a different light where it has a different connotation for us not something apart from ourselves but a whole completeness of existence all depicting the same thing namely impermanence unsatisfactoriness and corelessness nothing else this is all being depicted by all that exists including ourselves in order to do that we have to have the mind calm to get to the concentrated state i have mentioned this before and i am recapitulating so that there is possibly, I don't know, but possibly a better understanding of calm and insight and how the two work together and have to be attended to. And particularly now that if you have any interest in continuing your meditation, that you know what you're doing. If we don't know what we're doing, it's all going to be sort of a, a potluck. And meditation... It's a science of mind, and it's not potluck. Every mind goes along the same path. It often needs a bit of direction, but it goes that path. So if we can stay on the breath, with whatever crutch one has chosen, it doesn't matter. For a length of time, which is sufficient, for the mind to actually calm down. And that's not so difficult to do. We come to the point where the breath is hard to find, becomes as fine as the mind. And at that time, there is an inner sensation, an inner experience, which is, so to say, the first step into meditation without using the method it doesn't matter what method we have been using all methods lead to the same spot as far as calm is concerned not all methods lead to insight but certainly all the methods that we can use lead to calm now there are some methods that only lead to insight and not to calm the most Useful ones would be the ones that lead to both. Watching the breath leads to both. When you see that the mind has stopped thinking and is actually concerned with the breath and the breath becomes ever finer, that's the time to switch to the inner sensation. Now that inner sensation is so pleasurable that you need not ask anybody whether that's the right thing. If you feel you have to ask, you can be sure it's not. It is undoubtedly such a very delightful sensation that the mind will go to it without even being asked to do so. Now that's the very first step of becoming more and more imbued with the fact that this idea of a personal entity is an illusion because of this experiencing this very pleasurable sensation which takes the mind away from that me thought. Now this is the difficulty of becoming concentrated. And I'd like you to remember that if you should continue your meditation. The me thought, this I, cannot be supported when we don't think and therefore most people find it very difficult to stop thinking because they want their me to be supported now if you know that it may help you to drop this thought process obviously we need the me support when we still believe in the me and since everybody who's not enlightened believes in a me, we all need that support system. As long as we need the support system, we keep on thinking. Should there be a moment in meditation when the thinking has stopped, it very often is connected with fear. <coughs> person to whom it happens gets afraid, oh, there's nothing. Well, the minute we think that, of course, the thinking has started again. It's nothing but the ego wanting its support system. The ego wanting its support system. You can translate that into international politics without the slightest difficulty. That's what we're faced with. The ego wants its support system. Watch it when we meditate now. Become aware of it. That's what humanity is facing. That's the difficulty of being a human being. We're living with an illusion that wants a support system. It doesn't get it all the time and the minute it doesn't get it, it gets angry. It gets furious. It starts shooting. We shoot with words. Other people shoot with guns. The um, support system that Our thinking process provides is the the ego's justification for existence it justifies itself because it can think so well it's so clever well has that made us happy making anybody happy it doesn't it doesn't make anybody happy but what does make us happy and you may at one time or another have actually experienced it is letting go of that ego completely for a moment that's happiness when we see something very beautiful or we hear something very very impressive we may for a moment lose our ego connection and be totally absorbed in the sunrise or the symphony or whatever it may be absorbed When we're absorbed there's no ego this is what these meditative states are called absorptions when we get absorbed in the meditation subject there's no thinking there's only the breath we go to the first absorption they're called the meditative absorption. they go from number one to number eight And the very first one is the one that has these very pleasant sensations, delightful sensations, which already help us to realize that only without the ego can there be a state of being which doesn't have barriers, which doesn't have hindrances, which doesn't have opposing forces but where we can just be and connect with the inner purity that all of us have which is totally covered over because of our thinking process we can't touch upon it inner purity is not a thought it's a feeling and that arises when we get to the first absorption you've ever been absorbed in anything We lose our ego for that time. And there's a completeness then. We feel complete. We don't have to have an achievement at that time. Unfortunately, in daily life, that lasts only a very short time. However, if we're able to do our meditation properly, which means concentratedly, and continue it, we can do it at will. And from that, will arise the understood experience, namely the insight, that only without this ego illusion, without this ego protection, without this ego fear, ego barrier, is there true happiness, is there true peace. Unfortunately, only very few people on this globe will do it, will ever even try, and having tried, will actually do it. And because of that, the world looks as it does. The only thing that may be said about it is, it's really nothing to be surprised at. It's quite the way it has to be. But each one of us, do differently because you've now at least heard about it get concentrated stay on the breath how by dropping everything that the mind would like to think about knowing that none of it has any real significance all the thoughts that come and go are concerned with worldly matters and the world Is nothing to rely upon. But our own inner purity can provide that what we're looking for, peace and harmony. This is um, hopefully a recapitulation of calm and insight. And the real calm only arises, of course, when the mind has become concentrated enough. Now, whichever one of the methods you use, whether you use the counting, the words, the picture, the sensation, or just attending to the breath at the nostrils, it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is to drop everything else. The open secret of a spiritual life is also only two words letting go that's all there is to it just letting go letting go of ideas, viewpoints letting go of the limitations that we set ourselves there's far more to existence than we can see with our physical eye our physical eyes are very limited We can't look around the corner, we can't see beyond the horizon, we don't see ultraviolet light. Our physical eyes, and we believe them very strongly, are a limited sense organ that has only survival potential. And since none of us are going to survive, no matter what happens, we might as well go beyond it. And that's what happens when we actually stay concentrated. Now, before we sit and do our meditation, you should also now use the time to ask some questions. This is your last chance in the summer school to ask any questions of me, and we could now have a little time for that. Yes. My question is
2: when. Your life
0: the when you know that that's nothing but the ego saying I'd like to be in this in on this I don't want to be um, negated you just tell yourself that there's nothing to be afraid of the ego will be right back the minute you stop meditating. Just give yourself a little pep talk and say it's okay. The fear of, of not having the usual kind of support system. Just tell yourself it's fine. There's nothing to be afraid of. It. <coughs> it's okay. Hmm? Um,
2: is it very important to
0: in the mission? No. I usually say, nobody ever got enlightened in their legs. It's, it's always in the head, in the mind. So um, you sit the best way you can. This position is um, useful because of the fact that it's a very um, steady position. You have a big base to sit on. And when you become really concentrated, you don't feel the body. So this will keep you where you are, but uh, it doesn't matter, no. You just sit the best way you can. No. When you wake up, you know why not. (laughs) Sitting, not lying. For someone who's never done
2: it before, who really wants to wear a Vitae, how often during the day should you attempt? I could get into a
1: rhythm, but I am limited by time.
0: Mm. Well, the first thing that you need to do, and I'm sure that this is a general statement which is not exaggerated, you need to come to a residential course. Otherwise, you won't be able to establish a rhythm because that establishes a rhythm for you. (coughs) And it usually establishes at least as much uh, concentration which is needed, so much which is needed, so that you will stay with it. And then we usually say an hour in the morning, hour at night. But for beginners to sit an hour is too much. So you need to start with 30 minutes and work up. 30 minutes for a while and then 35 and so on. It's much better to work up than work down. All those who have already meditated know what it means to work down.
1: <laughs> and that residential course would be a minimum of a week, good.
0: Well, the one I'm giving is, is fortnight which is a very good uh, introduction. It can be taken for 10 days. Under 10 days it's not long enough but 10 days would be all right. And that, that, fort, fort, that fortnight one can be taken for 10 days but um, that's in the way I have experienced it a must in order to get established. Yes. <clears throat> well, I read in a
2: book um, about yoga that um, meditation is not suitable for people who suffer from depression I wonder why that would be written
1: in a that
0: meditation is not suitable for people who suffer from depression well, I mean there are many kinds of depression, aren't there? and uh, it's quite true one cannot meditate with a mind which doesn't have some joy some peacefulness already in it a depressed mind worried mind cannot meditate so a person who has a severe depression should try other means so, sorry well i I do not wish to give advice on those matters because I am really only uh, a meditation and Dhamma teacher and although this therapy creeps in all the time, I refuse to uh, do anything about it. I'm no expert in it. I'm sure there are people who deal with depression and who are experts in it. And it is quite true, a mind that is not on a level where it sees the good things not all the time, but some of the time is a mind that can't meditate. The Buddha's instructions are that a joyful mind is a mind that can meditate. So it's a, it's a true statement, I would say. And there are other means to deal with depression, aren't there? I mean, I hope so. I don't know. (laughs) I have to admit I've never suffered from it. (laughs) Anything else? Yes. I don't think so. What, for instance, are you thinking of? You were what? I'm eating. Now I was thinking if
2: I'm going to be fully present in the moment or fully or mindful, am I mindful of the fact that I'm walking and eating? Or if I'm going to be really mindful, should I can walk and then just the walk? Into
0: the walk and I'm yes. yes. There's a nice story that concerns that. It's a Zen story. The Zen people have definitely the best stories. And uh, there's a story about a Zen master who lived in a community with uh, a number of his students. And after a few years, one of the students finally got up the courage to ask this Zen master a question. And he said to him, now you, sir, say you are enlightened, but what makes you different from us? And the Zen master said, when I eat, I eat, and when I sleep, I sleep. The student said, but sir, I do the same. And the Zen master said, when unenlightened people eat, they think a thousand thoughts. When unenlightened people sleep, they dream a thousand dreams. But when I eat, I eat. And when I sleep, I sleep. So that's the answer to mindfulness. (laughs) You can also say, when I eat, I eat. And when I walk, I walk. Anything else. Yes. Just following
2: up, does that mean that um dreaming as a release is not necessary when a pure or it is not
0: present when you're in a more concentrated space? No, not more concentrated. Only for enlightened. Arahant. Enlightened people don't dream for so itself. Because there's nothing that has to come out of the subconscious into that. Mm. Nothing there. It's a release system, yes. Well, you mentioned the eight stages of the meditation,
2: first one is which was one is what are
0: the other Does it really pay to know that now? Wouldn't it be better to do the first one? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be delighted to tell you the next one when you've done the first one. <laughs> Just tell me you've done the first one, I'll tell you the second one but they certainly lead to a different uh, levels of consciousness which uh, show one quite clearly that there is only a totality of existence and nothing else that the separation which we practice and which we experience through our senses is a total illusion but we first have to do the first step and then the next ones, and as I've said before, if you're taking meditation seriously and I'll just mention it now and then we'll do our meditation if you want to take it seriously if you have maybe understood before or now that it is the way to find that inner life that everybody's really yearning for then you need a residential course it's this kind of thing, is only like uh, testing the temperature of the water. It isn't uh, swimming yet. In order to learn to swim, one needs a little more practice. And so um, this is what is really essential if one wants to do the meditation properly, to have an intensive time. Because in a residential course, there's also noble silence, One doesn't talk to the other people, only to the teacher. And there is um, um, like a going away from one's worldly obligations and uh, duties. Uh, So because one isn't at home and the telephone doesn't ring and the newspaper doesn't get delivered and uh, the relatives don't call and all the rest of it. So that one is really on one's own and one can investigate what is within, what is happening within oneself. It's a totally different situation as just coming you know, for an afternoon. Obviously this is very good because it gives one an in maybe a, the inclination to do that but to do the meditation really properly would be necessary to be away from all that and stay for at least 10 days in an intensive situation. loving-kindness contemplation it um, differs from the loving-kindness meditation in so far as the meditation is designed to arouse the feeling and that feeling to be extended towards those that we are thinking of here in the contemplation we want to recognize ourselves and recognize what we can do in ourselves to do the beneficial and that which is helpful and then wish the same for others. In other words, we have more of an inside path in the contemplation and something that we could use in many circumstances in daily life to remember those sentences and try to arouse that understanding in us. So this is more towards insight, but naturally the feeling can also arise and thereby make it much stronger. I'll again say the sentence first, ask you to repeat it after me, and then I'll say something about it to facilitate the uh, contemplation on it. In order to start, put the attention on the breath, please, for just a moment. <clears throat> please repeat after me. May I, May I be free from enmity? Now, here we investigate whether there is ever, has been, or is now any enmity in our hearts. And if so, whether that is well done or not, and if it's not, how do we go about eliminating it, changing it, substituting? First making a determination about it and then also an understanding how to do it. May I, be free from hurtfulness. May I be free
1: from hurtfulness?
0: Again, we investigate whether we ever have had any hurtfulness, either physically, mentally, or emotionally. Having any of that in our mind now, whether it's beneficial or not how to eliminate it. From troubles of mind and body. Now be free from troubles of mind and body. Here we can investigate how do they arise? How do these troubles that we get arise and when we find their cause can we get rid of it? How do we go about it? May I, be able to protect my own happiness?
1: May I be able to protect my own happiness?
0: Here we have to inquire within ourselves what is our happiness. Make quite sure that we know what it is, and then how do we protect it? beings there are may they be free from enmity.
1: enmity.
0: Now having seen in ourselves that enmity is harmful we are wishing others also to have the benefit of the loss of all enmity. And we can direct these thoughts for others towards specific people, or we can also try to direct these thoughts generally out into the world to beings everywhere. Whatever beings there are, may they be free from hurtfulness. Now, again, we have investigated in ourselves that all thoughts and feelings that may be hurtful to others are hurtful to ourselves. So we wish the lack of hurtfulness to all beings. And we direct these thoughts to either specific people or into the world, to beings everywhere. Whatever beings there are, may they be free from troubles of mind and body.
1: beings there are, may they be free from troubles of mind and
0: body. Now genuinely wishing this for others is giving them our love and care and compassion. Not discriminating between those we like and those we don't like but wishing for all all beings that they may be free. And if we have any understanding of how to become free ourselves, to want to share that with other beings. Whatever beings there are, may they be able to protect their own happiness. There are,
1: protect their happiness.
0: Again, we have seen that we want to be happy. So we will try to not make anyone unhappy and wish happiness for everyone with a sincere and profound feeling that others' happiness contributes to our own. We share the merits that we have made in this (coughs) summer school session with all our teachers. We share the merits with our parents, our loved ones, our friends and our enemies. We share the merits we have made with the organizers, of this summer school and all their helpers. We share the merits of this summer school session with each other and with all beings who may be able to have benefit from it. May the benefits of all our good intentions go out into the world and help as much as possible. May beings everywhere be happy and at peace. May all of you be happy and at peace.